Welcome to the Here's What I'm Seeing podcast, conversations from the front lines of life and leadership. I am your host, Adam Tarno, joined as always by my co-host, Cynthia Culver and Jeff Straza. Guys, how are we doing today? I'm good, but, I, but I'm sad that we talk so much about Starbucks. I know. Well, you're, I mean, because you always do walk in here. Of course, our listeners can't see this, but you always have Starbucks in hand oh, for okay. all of our recording sessions. Absolutely. I'm yeah. sorry that you've noticed. <laughs> Is that every day? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we're not going to talk. Okay. We're not going there. And some of our listeners are like, "What do you? Why? Why are we? It, it'll it, as the it'll episode goes it goes on. It'll make sense why we're talking about Starbucks." So I'm doing well, but I have to wear a vest again because your studio is always cold. I know it is cold in here. So anyway, so today, uh, Jeff, why don't you set up where we're going and who our guest is today? Because it's a good one. I'm really excited about our guest today, Nathan Dungan, who is has a background in financial services. He's the author of a really terrific book called "Prodigal Sons and Material Girls." How not to be your child's ATM? That'll be interesting. Golly. I mean, there um, are like there's leaders right now that are turning this that's up. Right. They're sending yeah, text that's, messages. That is a must read. <laughs> and uh, he is the founder of a company called Share Safe Spin. And you're going to hear all about that and why the sequence of that, in my opinion, is a very important sequence. So, uh, he and I have worked together um, on a couple of um, consulting opportunities with some family enterprises, and he's just a very gifted speaker and coach and author, you're just going to really enjoy him today. Yeah, we're going to talk about the connection between well-being and our relationship with money and possessions and how all that impacts our leadership. It's a fascinating conversation. So you guys take a listen to this, and then we'll be back with some closing comments. Well, Nathan, welcome to the podcast. It's great having you here today. Thanks for having me, Adam. Great to be with you all. And what is the temperature up in Minnesota right now? (laughs) It's actually uh, not quite 30 degrees, but uh, which is pretty normal for us. But um, we've had a nice stretch of weather. It's supposed to hit 40. And so we're you know, ready for shorts and t-shirts. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> it could not be more different than us Texans uh, down here right now. When it gets below 50, I, my mood changes. Uh, I'm very, very right. weak, very weak with all this. So why don't you do this? Why don't you just give our listeners 30 second resume, let, give them a little bit of background. Uh, I know we've talked about a little bit of who you are in the intro, but I'd be great to hear from you. Yeah. So started out in uh, financial services as a financial advisor, working for my mom out of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, ultimately migrated back to the Midwest where I'm originally from and um, uh, was VP of branding and marketing and communications for uh, Thrive and Financial there. And then in 2002, I left to write my first book and launch our company, Share, Safe, Spend. And then that's the journey I've been on since, since All right. about 2003. Okay. That's great. So yeah, close to what, 15, 16 years you've been doing that then. Yeah. Right, go close to 17 exactly. actually now. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I know one of your core messages is just talking about uh, well-being and how that impacts your ability to lead. And one of the aspects of well-being is finances, which is near and dear to your heart and something that uh, is really fun for me to talk about as well. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. But uh, is there a connection between your relationship with money and possessions and your ability to lead effectively? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So uh, I'll just start off with that big, broad question. Do you see a connection between uh, leaders' relationship with money and possessions and their ability to lead? Yeah, most definitely, because it really gets to the core of our, our who we are, right? It gets to this, our soul around you know what we deem is important, what we prioritize, and in my, you know, both my own personal journey in this regard, so I, you know, don't claim to have all the answers in this, in that respect, I'm really just a very curious person. And so um, I think a lot about that frame. And, and in particular, it's very much informed kind of my, my hypothesis that, you know, we've been using, you know, for a number of years now, 
which is, you know, who and or what is uh, shaping our money habits and values? How is that impacting our well-being? And then why should we care? So it's, it's very much affected just kind of what we do, the things I write about, I speak about, the research that we did with families. But back to your core question around does it affect, you know, how we lead? And I would say a- absolutely. Um, and it's important to, to really call out how um, awareness in this regard and a willingness to be a bit uncomfortable as you kind of search your soul around what it means, you know, to either have resources, not have resources, and your role and responsibility, whether you're leading a company. I work with a lot of family enterprises, and I, I just, you know, have the privilege. I was actually in a meeting before this interview with just this fantastic family enterprise, and they have just this amazing business um, where they've treated their employees, you know, so, so very well. And also they have this, you know, brilliant foundation where they're just doing really important work, particularly in like the foster care system, you know, for children who are really marginalized. And so I think there are some just wonderful examples of when you get really, you know, A, get curious about that question, money, possessions, leadership, and then really think about are you, do you have congruence in your life around that? Or is there some incongruence? And if there is, and, and you know what, that's true for, for many of us, we need to do resets periodically, right? But if there is some incongruence, what does that mean? And then, and then how does that begin to shape and form, you know, who you are in the choices and decisions you make? That's right. And so the leaders that you work with, Nathan, what are some of the initial questions you ask them to get them to even just start to think and reflect about their relationship with money and possessions and how it might be impacting their leadership? Um, well, I'll relate it with an example of a, a family I'm working with now. So I'm, I'm uh, facilitating um, a well-being cohort within a family. And it's a, it's a two-generation cohort of people um, in the third and fourth generation. And, you know, this family that's been around, obviously, you know, they now have fifth generation and I think six and six on the way. Um, but this family who's been around for a while and, you know, has a very successful, you know, international family enterprise. And they, you know, asked me at the beginning of the year to come in and be, you know, help them facilitate um, some this journey around well-being. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that has helped us to really kind of dig into that and more specifically help them is at the front end, I gave them a, um, a tool that we use in our work with families. And it's really a money and values you know, inventory, but it's, it's also populated with a number of open-ended questions, right? And, and these open-ended questions are things like, you know, um, uh, you know, what does money mean to you? Um, what are your leading values with respect to money and, and possessions? Um, and then it winds you through, again, a series of these open-ended questions. And then ultimately, you know, and along the way it asks, you know, do, do you feel like you know, you have congruence, you know, is there connectivity in, in what is important to you and the choices you're making with resources? And then ultimately, we, what we want to do is we, because I really like to have people not just live in a, a place of kind of, you know, this big philosophical space, which is important. Um, we really then ultimately help them land on um, uh, some goal setting around, you know, our core philosophy of share and save and spend. And how might you know, some near, mid, longer term goals, um, help them to attend to their uh, congruence, you know, continuity, if you will, around their 
values um, and how they're making choices around resources. So in the facilitation of this one group, there was a woman who's in her kind of early 60s, and she's a very accomplished philanthropist. You know, by all, she's very, you know, very smart, um, has advanced degrees. And um, she said it was one of, for her, one of the most profound things she's done is to really step back at this stage of her life, assess, and then think about, you know, what's worked well, what, what could be better, and then specifically, what are some things, you know, in, especially in the time that we're living right now, COVID, some of the, you know, particularly from Minneapolis, some of what happened with the George Floyd murder, um, and just you see some of the, the racial inequity across the, the country, the globe. It just really challenged her to ask some real questions. And so it was so fascinating to watch her um, have some, you know, kind of very vulnerable be in that space with her other family members, some, some, you know, first, you know, siblings and, and nephews, nieces, but then some, you know, other families. And then just to have her kind of speak into that and then how that just opened the path for others then to lean into that and be willing to um, do some exploration. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say big end of the funnel, some of those big questions, and then how does it then ultimately connect down to the choices I make every day? What does that look like every single day? So I, I'm, this is going to be an unscientific answer, I would imagine, but what percentage of leaders do you think intuitively know how to connect the decisions they make daily with money to their values? How many of them really already have that? And when you ask them to articulate their values around money and possessions. They're like, oh, I know what it is. And they can rattle off the top three and see how this is how it impacts where I share and where I save and where I spend and how I think about the house and everything. How many leaders know how to do that right away? Um, I would say a decided minority of leaders know how to do that right away. You know, and if I was going to just, you know, put a, a, you know, approximate sort of guess percentage wise, you know, maybe 10 to 20 percent that I would say have a real core awareness around that. And I mean, and, and that's not an indictment, frankly, because I think I want to cut leaders slack in that regard. I think it's just nobody's really ever asked them about it. So the industry I came out of, you know, and the industry you came out of, right, Adam, the traditional industry of kind of giving financial advice and counsel to people, it doesn't really ask you to go there, right? We don't go there. And so because what you're really, you know, we're more interested in in the traditional world is kind of the transaction. Can I help them accumulate, you know, wealth? Can I help them make, you know, good, thoughtful choices, you know, play within the rules that are, you know, before us within the tax code or whatever that is? And then, you know, how to maximize profit and, and whether it's a private company, which is really what I, the folks I work with, you know, for shareholders and or same in public companies, but no one's really not ever really asked them to, to make that connection. And, and what does that mean and how they might lead and how that may affect decisions? I mean, there's just, you know, a laundry list of companies who that obviously didn't go well, starting with Enron, well, starting way before that, but I mean, in your neck of the woods in Texas, Enron, I mean, in my neck of the woods, Wells Fargo, and the case goes on and on and on. And so I think that the, the, the inability or potentially, you know, unwillingness or just lack of awareness around that has really impeded our ability to, to do well in that space. Yeah, or oftentimes the questions are asked uh, looking forward. Where do you want to be in 10 years? What do you want out of life? And, you know, some of the, the background that I have is not so much on 
uh, more from the from the ministry perspective of trying to help people with some basic financial management um, practices, if you will. And I, I often would have the conversations starting with their past of going, what did you see growing up? And what are some of your habits right after you graduated from college? Because I found that the the family helped informed attitudes, and then their life right after graduation really helped build habits. And we had to first identify what those were before we went forward and talked about, you know, do you want to pay off debt? Do you want to buy a home? Do you want to save up? And and again, like to your point, and you're exactly right, we're going to cut leaders a lot of slack. Nobody had ever asked them those questions before. For some reason, it's not normal conversation to talk about those things. Right. And I, I really like your, your, um, how you just unpacked that because I think, you know, every family, every individual has a narrative, their money narrative. What is that? It was, you know, how was it shaped and form? Was there intentionality as they were growing up around asking them to think about, you know, the bigger questions of life up against their, you know, as they began to think, began to think about, you know, their earning and what that meant to them and some of their goals in life. And again, did they have any, family influencers or mentors in that regard. And, you know, absent that, again, you, that's why I just have to really cut people slack because, you know, if, if they never had that, how can you expect them to just, you know, intuitively have that awareness? Oh, I should do this. I think, sure, there are some people out there that, that would have that, but it's certainly not reinforced in our kind of hyper-consumer culture, you know, particularly with children who are really exploited, sadly, by corporations. There's a ton of research around there that, you know, that um, demonstrates that, you know, at a time when their prefrontal cortex or executive reasoning is still forming, and they're really trying to hardwire their brain around what is happiness, what is well-being really mean. And so I, I think it's so important to ask people to kind of go back and talk about that as a way for them to begin to, you know, uh, develop awareness around why am I at where I'm at? Do I want to be somewhere different? And if so, what would it take for me to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And to your point of really the first question that I asked you, why would this even be important as a leader? Well, because this this really is the core of who you are sometimes. I mean, this, this is near and dear to your heart is your relationship with money and possessions. And it's not, not trying to be, it uh, doesn't mean we're all materialistic or that we are money hungry. It's just normal. This is just part of motivation and a lot of our life, I like how you're saying as a money narrative, you've got your background, like your educational background, and you've got, you know, where you grew up, but you also have a money story. You know, what did you see growing up? And that is part of who you are. And it does impact your decision making today, and especially your decision making as a leader. Well, and to, to that end, I mean, um, there's a, another exercise I really like to do. Um, and I, I've done this exercise since my first um, the premiere of, of the first workshop I did back in Philadelphia as a financial advisor called Parents, Kids, and Money. And one of the first exercises I asked the, the kids in the room, and there were you know about 24 through sixth graders, their parents and some grandparents in the room as well. And what I asked them is I said, you know, we all have a, I kind of framed it. I said, we all have a money, a dominant money kind of characteristic trait. We all have a, you know, some sort of informed or, or formed narr- uh, narrative uh, uh, I call it our money temperament. And I, I broke it down in this way. I said, you know, they're sharing, they're saving, they're spending. What I asked of them is I said, what I'd like you to do is when you think about the money you earn or the money you receive in whatever shape and form that is, I'd like you to, to do an honest assessment of what is your dominant money characteristic? Is it share, is it save, is it spend? Then what's your number two? And then what's your number three? And what I said to them, and this surprises a lot of people, and I said, 
There's no wrong answer to that. There is not a wrong answer. It's just where is your energy and having awareness around that. And then, you know, do that same assessment then for your parents or your kids or, you know, the other members of your nuclear family. Well, that just spawned some really fascinating conversation inside of families, right? And because the reason it's so important for, you know, Adam, for them to know that it's not wrong, there's no wrong answer. Um, as a matter of fact, I would say they're all right answers. And the reason that's so important is because just because you may have spend as a dominant characteristic doesn't mean that you're a total spendthrift and you don't have other goals, but it may mean you need to think about it and you may need to kind of set your system and process up in a way that can ensure that you will reach the ultimate goals around, you know, generosity and, you know, deferred gratification, saving, education, all those things. You may need to do something systematically a little bit differently, but it doesn't mean that you're, you're not generous or that you're not desiring, you know, future, a future state of a happy retirement, et cetera. Very well said. Jeff? Nathan, this is great. I have a question about the, this, um, exercise you do. And when you work with leaders and there's incongruence and it's showing up in their lifestyle or they're conflicted or there's anxiety or conflict, uh, how do you help them calibrate? Because as you do this exercise and they do an inventory of where they're spending their energy, when there's incongruence with their values, how do you coach them to recalibrate where, where they need to maybe put more energy? Maybe it's more on the share side you know, or, or maybe it's more on the, on the safe side. How, how, do, how do you approach coaching? Yeah. Well, so when, when the incongruence, Jeff, to your point, shows up, right, um, the question I typically ask is, how does that make you feel? How does it make you feel when you see that incongruence and you see some of the data kind of staring back at you around, you know, where there's a disconnect between some of the things that you've said are important to you around money and values and possessions, and, but then your actions as you're doing the assessment around your just day-to-day behavior and choices, how does it make you feel? Well, that's the only real question I have to ask them. Because then, boom, you know, usually because A, as I said before, I, rarely if ever has anyone have asked them that question. And then B, once they have some of that awareness and when you, you see that there's a moment often when I, when I ask them, how does it make you feel? I mean, sometimes they will go into defensive mode and try to kind of, you know, defend choices and decisions. And that's, you know, I get that. And sometimes, you know, they, they just go, all right, here we go. Yeah, see, see, I would think that... <laughs> I got to come clean. <laughs> yeah, according to your, percentage, your percentages a few moments ago, I would assume that a lot of people are just not in touch with their feelings when it comes to money. There's, and, and, and there's either shame or guilt, or there's indulgence, kind of this po- polarization of emotion. And I, I would think that with, with creating some trust and some rapport, uh, you know, unpacking those emotions would, could be a very powerful uh, transformational experience for people. Well, and Jeff, really well said, great insight. Um, Because when we think about it, again, it's not wrong that there is, you know, for so many people that incongruence. What what has happened, and this is why the well-being frame, I think, is so important, back to Adam's opening questions, is that so many times, myself included in that regard, we have fallen into the trap of the false narrative that the things and the stuff and the money and that scorecard is somehow the path to happiness, right? We've fallen into that trap. And absent families intentionally 
being in this conversation, absent families understanding the power and the value of shaping the narrative proactively. Because most families, no fault of their own, they kind of abdicate it because they're not really thinking about it. It's not on their radar. It's a hard topic to talk about, right? Because it, it triggers a ton of emotion um, at the, the, the ends of the spectrum of, you know, like from silence, like I don't want to go there, <laughs> to really loud voices, right? And what we're trying to ultimately do in our work is try, we're, you know, to the point, like with some of these leaders in particular, is what I call get them to the sane middle, which is a rhythmic, um, periodic rhythmic assessment of the choices I'm making up against the values that I've articulated that are important to me. So it's not the values that I've told them that are important. It's what they've, you know, self-identified those values. And when they can do that in a way, semi-frequently, not only for themselves, but in, in connection with their family, in awareness of the greater world, the, the business they lead, you know, the community leaders often that they are, when they, they can have real awareness around that, what we have seen is it fundamentally changes behavior. It just, it just, and, and it, sometimes it's really gradual, you know, sometimes it's, you know, people have this really pithy and they kind of want to work, you know, I, I, either works, you know, both work, I think in that regard, our thing is what we're trying to do is to help people, you know, be in a space where they can have some common language, right? And this is why the work that we do that, you know, I, I find so much value in this work, working with families, we try to help them find First, I identify who they are, what their relationship has been to date, <laughs> understand that big end of the funnel around those kind of core questions, their money temperament, and then like, okay, how do they, what does living congruently in this space look like for them, and how does it affect their, their journey um, forward? And that's just a really cool way and space for them to be in, and once they can kind of get the sort of the spirit of that, I mean, it's it's pretty contagious. Yeah, right? and it sounds like, a, I mean... It, uh, when I'm hearing you talk about this exercise and getting people to think about their relationship with money and their values and where do they want to be and how does that make them feel, a lot of this is very similar to some of the other coaching that's been out there regarding how do you think about your time. You know, you say you want to spend time with your kids. You say you want to spend time with your spouse. You say you want to uh, volunteer. Now let's look at reality. And in some ways, you're asking people to do the same thing with another very valuable resource. So one is with time, which is a valuable resource. And now with with money. And the same emotions can pop up that drive towards behavior, which is a much better way to do this than shaming people or guilting people or having an iron fist going, you need to start saving more, you know. It's letting them come to that conclusion based on the values that you've helped them unearth. Yeah, I think a good example of that are people who um, have a good intention of, of sharing, and maybe they'll write a check, but they won't roll up their sleeves and put you know, time and energy and, and site visits or things that are, are actionable and behavioral, which are so much more meaningful. Not that the check isn't important, but that, I think that's a good example of where there could be uh, a little bit of a values disconnect, right? Yeah. Well, and it, and it creates an opportunity, I think, again, by looking, we're, we're big in, you know, encouraging individuals, families to run experiments. You know, don't, let's not put a lot of stock in how to, you know, like, oh, it's got to go perfectly. Well, just let's let go of that notion, right? <laughs> because none of us do money perfectly. So that's just as ridiculous. So let's just kind of get out there and just try some stuff and see what works. And well, that was kind of like, Jeff, to your point, I mean, of just doing some things, particularly with children, like our daughter was 10. I mean, it's, um, 
giving money is fine for her, but it's kind of abstract. You know, it's becoming less abstract at 10 than it was at five, but it's kind of abstract. But when we use some of her share money from her allowance and go to the store and buy food um, or create a list ahead of going to the store of, you know, items that are needed at a shelter, and then she goes, we do it with her. And then, you know, in some events, you know, pre-COVID stuff, we were able to go and actually pack food boxes and do that kind of stuff with her. So she saw it and it became, you know, really actualized for her. So she kind of gets it. And so I think the, the, this notion of service, you know, is really important part of the connectivity with this. And yes, as we now know in, in COVID time, writing checks is super important. There's a lot of people who are hurting in that regard. But when we, we get back to this, this idea of how do you help people make the turn, you know, I, one of the next exercises I ask people to do is a 30-day inventory of every single dollar that goes, g- goes out, you know, um, so that they know what's coming in, you know, and it's both, it's what, uh, what's coming in and what's going out. And, and I mean everything, <laughs> right? Every single thing. And then you, you put that up against your, your, the first thing, which is around the values, what's important to you. And you can really quickly see where do you have congruence and where do you maybe need to do some work? And it, it's, it's very much, you know, it's them. It's, it's, it's intrinsically coming from them. It's not anybody's shaming or blaming or anything, just coming from them. And then it's like, oh, okay. And then you map out the plan. And then they're, you know, it, I don't want it to sound like it's super easy because some money can be really complex, but some of the stuff is easier than, than maybe we give it, you know, we understand it to be, right? Absolutely. And I would imagine that the predominant emotion people feel when they write down every expense over 30 days is shock. Hey, you know, I, I, it, when I used to do this and I'd ask people to do it, I wouldn't even ask them to do it for 30 days. I said for the next seven. So we would do this weekly, this weekly class and say, okay, for the next seven days, write everything down. And they're coming in with just this look of horror on their face and they're, they're always cursing Starbucks. Cause they're like, I thought it was not that much, you know? And then they realized that they basically could have, yeah, they could have bought their own Starbucks uh, and had it, you know, right there in their front yard. But, um, but again, to your point there, Nathan, once they saw that there was an intrinsic motivation that would come up and go, this has to change. And now I'm looking at facts. I'm not looking at opinions and that is just exactly. really powerful. Well, and it's their data, right? I mean, it's nobody else's, it's theirs. And I think when, when you're kind of faced with your own information, um, it can just be a really, and it's an effect, you know, it's in, in effect, it's a mirror, right? You're holding up a mirror to yourself and you're just saying, you know, how, how would your well, well-being be impacted and influenced if you attended this, again, more regularly, uh, more intentionally, more proactively, what, what would that look like? And then once people start to get a sense of some success, you know, I always say small steps to big change. So it's great to think big and have big goals, but then it's, okay, what are those just kind of day-to-day actions you can do to make that shift? And then not only does it play out in their, you know, their own sort of, uh, you know, how it affects their their personal well-being, um, now they start to look at it more broadly of, okay, how does this impact my family, my spouse? Um, the people who work for our company, you know, how are we helping them get better connected to this, recognizing because there's the American Psychological Association every year does a, a study called Stress in America. And what we know is that, um, they, so it's top 10 stressors in America. Uh, so, okay, okay, hey guys, uh, here's your quiz. What's the number one source of stress for American adults? Money. There you go. 
<laughs> now, interestingly, when you look at numbers two through ten, oh, there should be a bell dinging. Ding, ding, yeah, ding, I know. I, I just right want answer. something, right. guys. I need a little <laughs> more encouragement. A free Starbucks for yeah. Adam here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when you look at numbers two through ten in that in that list uh, from you know, that does change a little bit. Money is always at the top. But when you look at the numbers two through 10 and of other things, directly and indirectly, guess what? They all come back to money, right? So now let's, let's take this one step further. Um, we also know that stress is the number one predict, number one, you know, indicator of, and predictor for negative health outcomes. Stress plays a big, big role in how we do physically. Well, then there you have, okay, there's, now we, now we have money connecting to our physical well-being. Right. So it's not just living in this kind of transactional space. It's now, you know, inhabiting our bodies. Right. And, and how we how that goes. And I think in, in the you know, here we are in the in the just the really probably some of the worst times now in the pandemic um, with covid. And you're seeing that play out, I think, in just a lot of different ways. So po point in saying that is awareness around this to topic not only can help, you know, you know your your financial standing. I think it hugely also spills over into your physical well-being, your community well-being, your social well-being, and yes, your career well-being. So all all five of the kind of core tenets of well-being identified in the Gallup research are now interconnected. And I'm not saying money's the key, but man, is it a huge driver in a lot of ways. Absolutely. That's so well said. Okay, let's change gears here for a second. So let's think about the leader that they're tracking with us going, yeah, maybe I haven't asked myself those questions. I don't know how to connect those dots. I don't know, maybe my relationship with money and possessions isn't as healthy as I think it is. What would be some signs for a leader out there that maybe they have some work to do in this area and it might be worth some some more intentional thought? Yeah, I think, you know, really thinking about those big kind of open questions around their value set, align, setting it up against their data. I mean, I would hope many of them, you know, they would have advisors, you know, in their circle of influencers in their life that they could begin to be in some of those conversations, or if they don't, and sometimes they don't, um, begin to search out and find people who can help them, you know, begin to explore. So what does that mean for me? And, and this is where I, I think um, having, I'll call it kind of a Sherpa, you know, someone who's on your journey with you, who can really be a little, you know, both ask you some, I think, really important, thoughtful questions, and also be a play a, a bit of a role around accountability, right? But having that Sherpa, I think, is just super important. And that's, you know, I, I don't want to over <laughs> um, articulate or, or describe the role that I play, you know, with families, but I think that is a role because a Sherpa is, is there to serve, right? A Sherpa is to serve, and they're really there to help them on the journey. And, and I, um, I think when people find folks who can help them and be very transparent with them and straight up with them around where they, you know, and again, where do you think you're making progress? Where do you think it's falling short? Often the answer is within us. It, you don't need to kind of, you know, just, you know, get all over that. But when you can help them do that and be that, that semi-frequent interfacer, I just, find that that's a huge role that people can play. And not, not just me, there's a lot of people in the country. Yeah, Nathan, from. I think that's really a, a helpful insight. And I love the way you're framing this about having advisors in their life. And, and many times, especially very successful people, they'll, they'll surround themselves with very fiduciary-minded people who, who help with 
uh, investment and risk mitigation. But you're also saying this is this is a more well-rounded strategy where you have someone who can um, get insight into some of the qualitative aspects of leadership and money. Can you speak more to that? Yeah. Yeah, very much. I mean, you know, as I alluded to earlier, Jeff, I mean, this notion of the industry of money, kind of the people who've sort of held the knowledge and been the keepers, if you will, of that space, they've been primarily, and you know, I, for good reason, I mean, because it is a very important thing to do, they've been really, you know, focused on the transactional kind of the quantitative issues with respect to money. When when we st- when I started really thinking about this, doing these, you know, interfaces with families, the research that I did with a behavioral psychologist back in from 08 to 2010 with adolescents and their parents, it became, you know, and then our, our work with, with a lot of leaders in, in enterprise, family um, enterprise in particular, I mean, it just became very clear that, you know, um, there, there is a huge need to help people step into this space. And for advisors who have a, an understanding and a connection to the quantitative but really get the influence of the qualitative. Because what I would submit to you, back to our hypothesis around who and what is shaping your money habits and values and how is it impacting your well-being, that hypothesis, what I would say is, when you really get connected on the qualitative side of you know, your values, you know, what, you know, what's important to you, um, you know, how you really think about and organize and prioritize, share and save and spend, when you really get, you know, thoughtful around that, it very much starts to inform, deeply inform your quantitative decision making, right? And so it's, it's very healthy and important that there are advisors who can span both of those spaces. Again, neither is right or wrong. It's just if, if you're overly weighting one and not, and not, you know, and it's usually the quantitative, it's usually the transactional things, and you're not allowing for some of the more qualitative kind of questions, thoughts, you know, and values to inform, you know, ultimate decisions, my assessment would be in perspective is there's going to be some shortcomings. Nathan, I I love all of this. And I'm just curious, how do you think it translates or does it into the workplace or corporate America? Yes. So one of the ways that, you know, when we came out of our research that we did, Cynthia, in 08 from 2010, what we discover is that helping people get a common language is really important. So our design challenge around that was, you know, bringing people together to do in-person workshops, very hard to do. <laughs> you know, people don't have the time. You know, they, we needed to adapt kind of our frame to fit their life, the busyness of their world. And so we started imagining, could we take this and, and, and migrate some of the, the tools that we had um, into a virtual environment? Right. And so then we started playing around with with that and engaged some folks in the tech world. And ultimately, it gave rise to this tool that we have called Money Sanity U, which is a virtual learning library. We're now on our third iteration, version 3.0. And we have, you know, companies now, a large healthcare company, one here in the Twin Cities, that um, who's very attending, uh, very attentive and aware of the importance of well-being in the lives of their employees. So everywhere from their executives all the way down to their call service kind of people. Or, um, and yeah. Um, so what what they have done, and they've um, been on board with us for now almost four years, is they just really believe it's super important to help that their employees at all walks of life to really step into this space. 
So within the library, we have really short form videos, three to five minutes, everything from, you know, things that you'd expect around credit scores and credit reports to things like the cost of owning a pet and how, you know, how much that costs because it's super expensive. By the way, right? by the way, which, which is the most expensive pet to own? <laughs> is that part of your data? data the search? one that's alive. Oh, that's yeah. the most expensive no, one. Now. Yeah, no, right on. I think that is super true. I mean, I don't know. I don't know people that own like really exotic pets. So maybe that is it. But I'm just telling you, you know, I know veterinarians. I have friends who are vets and people that own particularly dogs. Oh, my gosh. I mean, people in this country, whether it, I mean, let's just put aside all the tchotchke and the clothes and everything that people dress up. But just the vet bills alone, I mean, it's thousands upon thousands of dollars. I don't know, right? Nathan. We might need to talk about those that dress their dogs. They, we might need to talk about that, but I'm we won't. Saying, we won't. We'll stay on topic. The thing. But, but so within the library, though, um, what we found is that, and within the corporation, Cynthia, to your question, is it's really providing, you know, for all of their employees, 24-7 access to things, you know, a wide range of things like I want to start teaching my kids and giving them an allowance. How do I do that? So all these questions that create a lot of anxiety, stress, you know, the ends of the, the communication spectrum of silence and loud voices, the, the library is really intended to get them to the same middle, the, you know, the frequent, think of it like a heartbeat, you know, the rhythmic thing. So it can get them. And then we drip, drip information to them. And there's videos, there's activities, all designed around helping them attend to and improve their financial well-being. And it's really giving your employees um, resources to help them personally. Big time. And I mean, you know, and, and I'm telling you, when you understand the stress research and how that preoccupies employees, you know, from being able to focus and do the work that they do, if you can help them begin to unlock some of these issues around some of their money anxiety, particularly in the COVID land that we live in now, but it's really always been there. It's just really, you know, heightened right now. But when you can help them do that, I mean, it's just, it's a place that can really give them some peace and some kind of space to say, okay, there's a better way. There's a different way. Um, there's a more intentional way that I can do this, but it's really meeting them where they're at. Everybody's kind of comes at this in a different place. We want to meet them where they're at and then help them, you know, improve, get better. That's fascinating, Nathan. And, and again, now, now kind of bringing this back full circle as a leader, your responsibility to take initiative for the benefit of others. And oftentimes we, we just think about the day-to-day, the nine-to-five. And if we really want to be effective leaders that are taking care of the people that we're stewarding right now and, and leading, trying to lead and to serve, this is a massive aspect of life. And to, just to be able to provide those resources, you can't force anybody to, to watch those videos, but man, you can make them available and just go, hey, this is a big aspect of life and I want to help you with everything. And so, yeah, maybe I can't be your personal financial coach, so you're not going to meet with me every Tuesday morning and we're going to go through your budget and see how much you spend at Starbucks. But just start to equip yourself with, with some of these things. It's such a great, easy way for leaders to continue uh, to serve those that they're, that they're entrusted with right now. Yeah, no, I think really well said, really well said, Adam. I think that, you know, what we try to do is provide content that meets people at all kind of walks of life. And um, whether they're about to get married, whether there's been a death in the family, whether they're thinking about, you know, saving for their kids college, or again, attending to their credit score, buying a home, or, you know, so many different kind of spaces in there. Um, you know, life events that happen, we want to just be able to provide some resource for them in a way that honors their values and helps them make forward progress 
in a way that's consistent and congruent so that the outcome, the byproduct of that is enhanced well-being, right? And if we can be a part of that solution, I mean, that's incredibly gratifying and um, it, it feels like, you know, we're, we're doing something to, to make the world a better place. Amen. Right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Nathan, uh, this has been fascinating. How can people find out more about you? Sure. I mean, uh, easiest way is to go to our, our website, sharesafespend.com, and um, you can learn more about, you know, the tools we have, particularly Money Sanity U, um, and how that's uh, available as a resource, a virtual resource for organizations. And um, yeah, I think, and, you know, we'll, we'll also connect you with other places and spaces. You know, I'm imagining like this podcast <laughs> as a way to help people get connected around you know, their journey as being a leader. But uh, I really appreciate you all doing this. I think it's just a brilliant way to kind of um, take stock and also help people as they, you know, kind of think forward and and unlock some of the keys of what does it mean to be a really good leader and, a, and, a, and an impactful leader. Yeah, well, Nathan, this has been great having you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing with us what you're seeing on the front lines of life and leadership. And uh, we appreciate you being here. My pleasure. That was awesome. Oh my gosh, I it was talking about amazing. This. Amazing. Wasn't he fascinating? He's just so just well-balanced with his thoughts and his sentiments about leadership and work-life balance and well-being. And uh, that organization sounds awesome, and I'm sure he's going to get a lot of clicks on that website. I hope he does, because it sounds like what they're doing is really cool and very helpful. And I, I, you know, I just like the, the conversation about this topic as it relates to leadership, because I don't know if I've ever really heard many people talk about your personal relationship with money and possessions and how that might impact your leadership. And so I thought his thoughts were so helpful there. Well, right. And I, I love the focus on, it's like, why does it matter? Because it's your well-being. And, and I also thought too, it's like you're as a, as a leader in your organization, like people work there. What is one of the primary reasons we work? For money. Money. Yes. You know, and it's so if we're not helping people think about that, interact with that, be intentional and engage, we're, we're really missing a big part of, hey, how can, how can we have a healthy relationship uh, with you? How can we help you? How can we be a resource for it you? It really does add some teeth to this, you know, this idea that a lot of leaders will say, which is, oh, we care about all of you in your whole life and we want to help you. And uh, but then there's so many things that just go ignored, and, and a lot of times that makes sense in the professional setting because you, you know you can't you, you got to walk that fine line between personal life and professional life, and how much is too much to share with work people. That's what I really like about that resource. That hey, it's here if you want it, and uh, but I care enough about you to make this resource available, and and how that can help the culture. Uh, of an organization that be less stressed uh, be, if they can get their financial house in order a little bit. So, Jeff, what what hit you? Yeah, I think one of the things that I've really enjoyed most about their conversation with Nathan and having worked alongside him particularly is the gravitas that he has with leaders because he has the cred and the background in the financial services. Um, but he really helps influence leaders on thinking about the impact that they make on other people particularly when it comes to making decisions around money, influencing that. Um, as, we, as we said in the interview just a few moments ago, um, it's, it, successful leaders are, are well-equipped with the quantitative aspects of leading a company or, or leading a team. Many times some of the qualitative and values-driven kinds of behaviors 
are not as much in focus. And so I thought that that, that, that was a great theme that came out today. Yeah. Cynthia, you were talking about congruence too, and that was a word he used yes. a lot and how much you really identified with that. Well, you know, I feel like that's one of the things I talk a lot about with people is the idea of congruence and what is that. And I learned this or heard this a long time ago that it's the it's what we put out on the outside, what we're doing, what we're it, it's a face. It, what is a facade? A facade is some it's a face you're putting on. And congru a congruence is when that face matches outwardly with what's going on inwardly. And so, and I loved it. And so one of my questions, and, and it was answered before I could ask it, but was how do you know? And how you know is your feelings. And I think so often we talk about feelings as this kind of a negative thing, like, oh, don't follow your feelings. And it's like, yeah, don't, you don't necessarily need to act on them, but they are great flags and great information. And so I was just saying, are thinking that for me, like when I am not on a budget, I do, I, I have more peace when I'm on a budget than I do when I'm not on a budget. Does that make sense? It does. Did I say that right? <laughs> Which is counterintuitive because a lot of right. people who maybe are not on a budget, they go, why would I need to be on a budget? That's constraining. You know, I make all this money. I should be able to spend it however I want. And the, the opposite is true, though. The opposite it, is more true. Freeing. Yeah. It's like I feel free to spend all my money on Starbucks, Starbucks. that I do spend. When, but when I'm on a budget and it's set out and there's some limitation, there's some boundary around it. But I just, I love the idea that that the well-being, you know, and, and we talk a lot about the the pursuing happiness. It's like it eludes you when you pursue it. And, and so we pursue it in a lot of ways, whether it's clothes or food or whatever in this culture. But just that that um, that we can listen to our feelings and we can look to them and try to assess and figure out what we need to do with them and what information they're giving us. That's really good. My dad gave me a t-shirt when I was growing up that said happiness is positive cash flow. <laughs> right and uh, what a, again, what a loving thing to do. Third generation accountant, born on April sixteenth. I think it's in my it's in my blood, right? That uh, that it was there, and so um, so happiness is positive cash flow, but it's more of the budget too, right? So the positive cash flow that is being uh, dealt with and managed in the right way, and it does it does impact. I think the 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 piece that we started to get into there at the end that maybe if I was going to say, I know, Nathan didn't say this directly, this would be something I'm seeing on the front lines of life and leadership that has been really helpful for me is as a leader, having conversations about what's going on in my financial life personally with other leaders, with trusted peers. And that's a very, you know, who's a trusted peer? We could do a whole episode on that. So you're not going around and just telling anybody and everybody about it. But if we think about all the different ways that we're receiving coaching or we're talking to people about aspects of our leadership and problems that we're struggling with, I think this is one that that peers could help as well. You don't have to go find uh, just the paid advisor. I think some peers can do some things here as well. So as a leader, just even go, hey, is there, do I have a group of other leaders that I get together with and we do breakfast once a quarter or we, you know, do Zoom calls or whatever? Just, just even asking that question, hey, yeah. do you feel like you're in congruence between your values financially and the way you live? That's a great open-ended, safe question to start to help each other think through this. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's not like you're having to open up your your balance sheet. It's really more just about getting at some of the principles and values of how you're thinking about investing and sharing and and those kinds of things and, and consortiums. And, you know, th 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 that's a great vehicle. Yeah. 
to where you can really feel like you could be transparent about some of your some of your money decisions. Yeah, yeah, just well, so helpful. And I, I feel like I noticed a theme in in some of our our guests and discussions is around values, and and some of that is you know I've got to take the time to identify what my values are. I have to think about it. I have to go. What is really important to me? You know, and and we don't usually spend. I mean, I find so many of the people I coach, they don't know. I mean, I have since we had our. Um, our podcast several weeks ago, I've gone back and gone, what are my values? And and taking the time to, to identify those because then you can begin to make choices in line with them. Otherwise, you're just making choices. Yeah. We need to do a, a whole nother episode on that because I've been doing a lot of, of writing on values as well. So we'll do a little preview of that. But because I'm, I'm starting to realize, I think there are multiple categories in our life where there are values and there's not just one set of values that guide every category. A thousand percent. I'm with yes. you. And so it'd be, I think, help Ooh, putting, putting these categories together and then writing some words under that. It was like, oh, that I is I can't really wait. Helpful. I make sure oh I'll, wear, I'll wear a vest because <laughs> I know it's going to be cold in here. <laughs> you do that. All right. Well, Nathan, if you're listening to this, thanks again for coming on the episode you guys go check out his website and uh, thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys again next time thank you so much for listening to here's what i'm saying if you found today's episode helpful please do us a favor and subscribe or rate and review the show that helps great people like you find us for more information about the host of here's what i'm seeing be sure to check out the show notes for links to our websites as always today's episode was mixed and edited by the great team over at sound of a rose You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.